Good morning. It's nice to be with you all again and in our final Sunday here together with you before we leave. Um, just want to say thank you. It's been such a joy to be here. Uh, thank you to the elders for letting me come and uh, giving me the pulpit for two months to be able to share God's word with you. I've really enjoyed it a lot in the personal study in my own life, and I hope um, just in, in talking with you and visiting with you, it's been a real deep joy for our family. So please know that, and we look forward to coming back again in the future. Not We don't know when that might be. And um, also wanted to thank the two ladies specifically that watched our kids or taught our kids during the time. Dee and Linda, thank you for that. That's a joy, and we pray many more kids will be here in the future that you can uh, be busy and then get more help for the, the, the Sunday school ministry here. You know, as I was thinking about this book, Titus, um, and praying last month and before we started, I thought, well, what, what should we teach? What's on? What does God want me to teach on? And Titus was short, so that was convenient. But I think actually, as we've gone through the book, um, we've seen that there's a lot of instruction for the church and for us. And at the time of, new, you know, in the, the life of the Church of New Village, I think there's a lot of good practical things for you to take away with seeking to find godly men to lead the church and then have godly families. And I just think there's a lot of practical things out of this book. And um, lest you think you're only going to listen today, I, you should have a piece of paper. And uh, there's a quiz at the end. No, I'm kidding. No quiz. There's, um, Terry was scared about that. There's a quiz. She hasn't taken a quiz in 20 years, she said. No. Um, there's a, a time of reflection. I'm going to just preach about 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to have a time of reflection and looking through the book of Titus. It's short enough to do that, but also to look at maybe a particular section that God has been grabbing you, your attention, your heart on, and thinking about what are the good works he might have you do as a result. And that's really what Titus is going to work towards here in this is he's going to tie it all together with the gospel and say, look, I've been teaching you these things for the purpose of the church devoting themselves to good works. And, you know, I was looking this morning in the bulletin and I see that the mission of New Village is exactly that. And it says our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who treasure live out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, treasuring the gospel and then living it out. I'm assuming that means in your deeds and your character and then proclaiming verbally that message. So you guys have, you, you must have studied Titus when you were putting together that mission statement, and I hope we can put some feet to that today. So let's, let's uh, start with prayer, and then we'll, we'll go into the third chapter here. Heavenly Father, we pray for our time this morning as it will be brief um, in, in preaching, Lord, but may it be richly blessed in, in using me to share what you have here from your word. May the Holy Spirit work in our lives just as it says, and Jason read that the Holy Spirit is what gives us that new birth, that renewal, and may that renewal translate into something that you would like for us to do both individually and hopefully here as a body that ideas might even stir in the final moments we have together of being uh, devoted to good works, um, specifically here in the body and in the community that you've placed New Village in. Lord, would you bless this body here? Would you work in us today and be glorified? Amen. 
So in chapter 2, we kind of finished last week with uh, women and slaves, the instruction there. But Paul had been working through the second chapter, talking to first um, men, the instruction he wants them to have in the house, and then women, and then slaves. And now, in, and in the end of chapter 2, he kind of talks about how he ties that together, that God's grace teaches us to live godly lives, to live towards um, wanting to be uh, the type of people that are holy. And then he gets into two little verses. In chapter 3, I, 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 wa- I wanted to ask Paul, but Paul, why did you write it this way? Because it seems a little disjointed, to be honest with you. And I'll try and do the best to, to transition well. But um, the third chapter starts with, okay, I've taught the men, I've taught the women, I've taught slaves. Now I'm going to teach you all, generally, how you're to act towards those who are in authority over you. And it starts in verse 1. He says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready to do whatever is good. Slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, and always, excuse me, and always to be gentle towards everyone. He's reminding them their character that they should have among everyone, their I would say their bosses, their places of employment, their places of just being a citizen and the lives that they're supposed to live. In Romans 13 and 1 Peter, those are other sections of scripture that talk about how we're supposed to respond to the government. But the idea here he starts with is to be submissive to the rulers that are in place above you and the authorities that are there. And we know that God gives the government, uh, he gives people, he puts people in place uh, people that we may or may not like, but he doesn't ask us, you know, if you like President Biden or if you liked President Trump, you should submit to them. He said you should submit to them regardless of whether or not you like them. And regardless of whether or not you like Cuomo here in New York State, he's asking you to submit to them. And there's a caveat here. The caveat is that we submit to them in whatever is good. But we are to be the kind of people that aren't constantly snickering and slandering our political leaders when we don't like them. Uh, and this was a conviction for me last year, just, you know, going through the poli- the election. And I had my own convictions and I would sometimes voice them. And, and even in my family, I had to apologize several times like, guys, I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm slandering that person. And I see that even today on on Facebook, you know, and. X amount of days that the new president has come, look at how bad of a job he's done. That's slander, and that's Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't be the kind of people that you could be considered to be obnoxious, but instead to be peaceable and to be gentle towards all. God is calling us to that. That's not easy to do, but he's asking us to be those kind of people. Just as much as in the house, we would agree that if uh, we, we've talked about this, that, that word submit is used here in chapter 2, where a wife is to submit to her husband, a slave is to submit to the master, and we wouldn't accept that, okay, a wife would snicker and slander her husband. Gosh, you've only been my husband for two months. Look at the terrible job you've been doing. Or, you know, the slave to the master, but God is asking us to be kind towards those that are in authority above us. But the good news is that he says in, you know, the end of verse one, that to be ready to do whatever is good, that we're to be the kind of people that are peaceable, considerate and gentle towards those that are above us. And you see this um, kind of bigger ethic Paul is saying is that the church 
if they act in this way and if they treasure the gospel, that they act as, as missionaries in the places where they've been, that they bless the people that are around them, that they're, they're the, the kingdom of God is being seen among the people that they are living with because they are gentle, they are peaceable people. In, um, in, second, in First Peter, you can flip there or you could just listen, but there are several other verses that I, I really reflected on uh, this morning, actually, just on what does it mean to be known for doing good versus other things. And in First Peter, we have some really neat verses on them. It's in First uh, Peter two twelve. Peter says, "Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they would see your good deeds." And glorify God on the day that he visits us. Or in 2.15, it says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. This idea of our character, our representation of the kingdom of God when we're doing good, it, it acts as a silencer, as a, as a way that people see, you know, those are people who honestly care for others and want to bless the land that they live in. In 3.13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. You know, some people uh, these days want to revolt against any sort of uh, oppression they feel against Christianity, but God is calling us to be instead the type of people that are known for good character and good deeds in the midst of difficult times. And that is the instruction that he wraps up with there. And he moves then to the third the verse here, 3 through 7, which he's, he's been thus far kind of highlighting, you know, I want you to behave like this, and, and here's the reason why. Here's the gospel here, and the gospel is such that it changes your life. Paul does it, I think, in a little bit reverse order. He's asking you to act like this, and the reason why we could say, you know, he could have done it in a different order, but nonetheless, he did it in this order. It's inspired by the script, the Spirit here. And it says in verse 3, At one time, we were foolish. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we did, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, and he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now take a look back at verse 3. What are the words that he uses to describe you and I? And it's it's a check on us. It's a humbling thing to read that. I, I tried to do it by putting my name in front of that list this week. I said, you know, Michael, you were foolish. You were disobedient. You were deceived, Michael. Michael, you were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. And Michael, you lived in malice and envy. You were hated by others, and you hated other people. And that's not a list I like to say, oh yeah, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm certainly not proud of that kind of thing. 
But it's that kind of mirror to look to reflect on who we were before we came to Christ. Or if you've not chosen the Lord as your Savior, or Jesus as your Savior, this is who you are. And I think, you know, 6,000 years of human history and even last year has proven that humans on their own don't often don't have a general love towards others and kindness. Instead, we hate one another and others hate us. It's that mirror that reflects back at to us saying, this is who you are. You know, I was reading, uh, I was listening to a podcast this last week on how to have effective Zoom calls. We all do Zoom and um, one of the, the ladies, she's, she runs an MBA program from a, a very re- reputable institution. She said, one way to build trust and to uh, show care and empathy in your Zoom calls is to put a mirror in front of your desk. And the reason is that when you do that, you catch a glimpse of yourself and you're prone to speak less arrogantly, to speak with more humility. And therefore, that actually builds trust on the the call. It was interesting, their research that they had found. I think of this verse here as that mirror on the desk. If we think that we are people that, okay, I used to be that kind of a bad person. I used to have that sinful tendency. This is pointing us back to our nature, this deceitfulness, this hatred, this malice that was so part of us. And if we're honest, even in Christ, we hopefully have seen great change, but sometimes that does creep up within us. But the news that Paul highlights in verse 4 is that beautiful word, but, and he talks about this in Ephesians 1, this what changed? What gives you any hope, any difference from a non-believer? He says, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we did, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That kindness and love of God. Well, God is kind and loving all the time, but here it's pointing to the specific time when Jesus himself came, when all of creation was kind of waiting and yearning, and and God sent his son to die to atone that washing, that purifying of our sin that we talked about this morning in the Psalms uh, class that, that Mark Harrigan preached on. And that was the time that God's love and kindness is most shown, right? Romans says that. How do we know God loves us? Well, look, he sent his son to die for us. And that is the time when that, uh, that um, he appeared in the most dramatic fashion. He saved us. And it wasn't like God said, you know, um, David is kind of a good guy and he doesn't do that many bad things. Therefore, he can he can be saved. No, God was looking at us and says he's merciful and and sometimes that mercy can be seen as unjust that if you think of it that you standing before God and you saying God I've done 39 good things and 659 bad things well the only way that God could forgive that is to be merciful we in some ways we don't want God to be just with us we don't want him to be Um, demanding of us. Did Michael do enough good or enough bad? He's the only way to gain that salvation with him is through that mercy, that covenant love that's talked about in the Old Testament, the word hesed. And that's what 
the the scriptures here is talking about that this mercy, this love was poured out to us, given to us in such a way that we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve any of this. And that's why Paul is so many times throughout the scripture in the book of Titus talking about living in a different way because you have been given such a unique gift in being saved. So how does he do it? Some people like to really analyze these things. and It's important to understand what the scripture says. In verse 5 and 6, how is it that God saves us, that he gives us that salvation? In 5, it says that he, wash, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. And he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I don't know your personal testimony, but before I came to know the Lord, I felt for a while, for probably a year, up to a year, that I was being convicted of my sin. And that conviction gnawed at me and made me feel less and less um, uh, powerful in the world and more and more weak that I don't have any way to save myself in, in this for eternal life. But the Holy Spirit is the one that is working on us before even we come to Christ. He's showing us the things that we've done wrong. In John 16, 8, it talks about that, that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And it gives us, as we place our faith in Christ, a new life, a new birth. And that's what Jesus talked about with Nicodemus in John 3, that new birth, a new life, a new uh, way of viewing the world. In Romans 6, we see this, and in 2 Corinthians, I'll just read these verses where it talks about the new birth, that we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. In Romans 6, 4. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. if anybody is new in Christ, the, or if anybody is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And so we see that the Trinity working here in these verses where the Holy Spirit is leading us to Jesus to understand that he saved us and that God the Father was the one orchestrating all these things together. A great book I read on the Trinity this last year is Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. If you get a chance Go ahead and get it. It's less than a hundred, uh, less than a hundred pages, less than a hundred bucks, but less than a hundred pages. Um, but it's a good book that talks about the Trinity's work in our lives, and we see it just in a small sense here. Paul is wanting us to understand how good the gospel is, how much mercy we've been poured out, and he gives us that so that statement that I mentioned in the few previous few weeks. It's important to understand the so that's the what is this whole thing leading me to and he says in verse 7 so that having been justified by his grace we would become heirs having the hope of eternal life now sometimes that can sound so flowery so perfect that it's hard to digest what does that actually mean to me and I think about hope and eternal life, and I think about um, inheritance, you know, language here, heirs. And anyone who's older, you hopefully you've written a will by this time, but, you know, you can change your will, right, up until the point that you die or the point that your, your you know, mental faculties are, are still there. Now, what this is saying, I think, is that God, let's say when he wrote his will, 
that he was 100% in his mental faculties. He knew what he was doing. But we can think sometimes, well, okay, up until a point, that will might change. But God's will is not like that. God's will won't change. There won't be bickering among the siblings later on, fighting over who gets what piece of the furniture or the house or the, the, the remaining cash flows. That this will that God has written, this plan he's written, is going to be good forever. And we can count on that. We don't have to worry, is it going to change? Is it going to be less good than he says it will be? And that is what Paul is saying is that, look, you, anything that happens to you in this life, you know, even if it's the worst thing that you could imagine, physical pain, suffering, cancer down the road, loss of job, loss of your family, loss of your home. Like he's saying that if you are in Christ, if you know him and you believe in what he's done for you, that you have eternal life with him and that it will never change it will never that will is guaranteed it will not go to probate court to find out you know is it you know is it half true is it somewhat true but it's 100% possible that we can trust in god's words on this hence then if we are in his saved and it's we have this hope of eternal life we see why we as a community as a church are different in the world why we have a different hope why we have a different uh, future planned for us, and that changes everything. And so Paul is, you know, banking, he's putting the meat, the theological meat here in this section, and he wants to go back, I think, a little bit to what he's talked about, some of the, the bad characters that are in Crete. And he says, look, if God has given you all of these things in him, if he's given you these great riches and this hope, In verses 9 to 11, he's warning people in the church to not be controversial people, to not be uh, people who argue, right? If you have such a good gospel, such a good hope in Jesus Christ, stop arguing about the law. Stop arguing about things that are, um, are difficult, that maybe some of these things are gray issues and need to be fleshed out over time. And in our day and age, we have lots of arguing that can go on, even among our Christian friends, about who is a good politician, who is not. You know, who is a good, you know, do we get vaccinated, do we not get vaccinated, right? These are things that are important, but Paul is also tying it back. Man, we need as a community to not be people who are fighting over the wrong things, that the gospel should be primary And he says, people who are controversial, who are arguing constantly, warn them once, warn them twice, and then don't engage them anymore to just hopefully they will be the type of people that, you know, come back to the the truth, the the true elements of the Lord. But he's asking us to, to not be those kind of people, to not be the argumentative, the divisive people. Um, I was saying to someone yesterday, I feel like Almost just everything, politics, everything these days, it's just like, it's like dogs fighting. You know, when dogs fight, what do you do? Do you stick your hand in the middle? If you stick your hand in the middle of a dog fight, what do you, you're going to get bit and you're going to be the one hurt. So maybe there's a pause for us as Christians right now to just sit back and let the good news saturate our own minds. And then we can fulfill, you know, what God has for us as a body. And, um, and I think that Paul, he's, 
he's working his way. He's closing the book now. He's, he's saying he sent Titus on this mission. And what was the mission? The mission was there's believers in Crete, but they need good leadership. And Paul was wanting Titus to do that. He thought among the people, there are good godly leaders that could lead the church forward in the truth. And he's presenting a small need here in verse 13, that two men, Zenos and Apollos, you know, they have some needs to be met. And in verse 14, we see what Paul is wanting the churches to be a part of. Our people should learn to devote themselves to doing what is good to provide for the urgent needs of, of uh, among us and to not live unproductive lives. That if there was a need among the body, they were to care for it. They were to provide for it. And I just want to thank even the Harveys this last week. They gave me a book, um, which I read. It was so good, God and Money. And it talks about our perspective on what we own and our talents and our resources. And it, it encourages us to think about not just how much should I give, but instead, how much should I keep? How much do I need for myself? And Paul, I think, would say, man, what you can give to others, bless others, bless the body, bless the gospel ministries going forward here. And that's what he says in verse 14, that we, we give through, through giving, through giving our time and resources, we learn and are devoted to doing what is good as a body. And that's what Paul, I think, wants the the Cretans to be known for. He doesn't want them to be known for being the, the lazy gluttons, the evil beasts. He wants them to be known for being people to meet their urgent needs, to be peaceable people in the communities that they that he's placed them in. And so as we close just this brief time here in the Word, I just want to look at it from two perspectives. That one Paul is asking, Paul is showing you how good of a life you can have in Christ. Not a prosperity gospel, but what I mean is he's showing you that Christ meets all your needs, your eternal needs. And if you've not placed your faith in Christ, today is a day. Do it today while you're here. But he's saying that if you are in Christ, that you should be devoted to good deeds, to good works you don't earn salvation by that, but this is an out of the outflow of your heart, out of an outflow that we read in the mission statement that years ago, I don't know when it was formed, David, do you know? But out of the, tre we treasure the Lord, and out of that we live out, and we proclaim the gospel. And so my, my hope now is that we're going to transition um, into a time of reflecting on the, the book as a whole. And then we're going to, I want to give you some individual time to pray and look at, look at some of the things that I've written down here. And then we'll hear from one another. You know, what might God be calling you to, your family to, or what do you think the church could, could do in, in doing good works together? And so if you have the, the one-page handout, we'll just kind of briefly walk through, and I'll touch on the highlights here, um, and, and if you don't have it, raise your hand. I'm sure the elder, the uh, ushers could help you with that. The first uh, four verses, you know, this is not an inspired outline, so just take it for what you uh, take it for what it is. But the first few verses we looked at a few weeks ago where Paul kind of shares his heart to Titus on who he is, what he believes God has called him to as an apostle. 
And then verses 5 to 16, the task that Titus had to find good, godly men to lead the church that had awesome character, unreproachable character. And he warns us against the people that were, uh, were making it challenging in the church. And in Titus 2, then, the second verse and 6 to 7 is specific teaching to men, older men, younger men. And then Titus himself, that Titus was supposed to be a model for the church there. And he talked about women and the older women teaching the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children in verses 3 to 5 of chapter 2. And he talked about slaves in 2, 9 to 10, that they would be submissive. And we learned about the Paul's kind of idea of slavery is different from our American view of slavery and the issues that were going on there. You can listen maybe a little more depth last week if you have questions on that. And 2, 11 through 15 is kind of similar to what we talked about this morning. It's going back to the gospel message and how great that message is and what it means for us now living new lives. And the teaching we talked about a little bit this morning, chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, the instruction for all people in the church to submit to the rulers and authorities, and then the controversial arguments to avoid being controversial and arguing type of person in Titus's final remarks. So what I want to do is I want to just ask you to look at one or two of these small sections. Whatever God is touching you on particularly, read the verses, pray, think about what might, be, what might God be leading you towards, um, towards in your thoughts and your actions that you might uh, do that would be aiming towards blessing others, towards doing good works. So I'll just pray and ask God to, to use this time, and we'll give you about five or six minutes. And then, um, then I want to just open it up for some, some sharing, you know, from the word. You know, maybe don't air your grievances right now. Uh, you can share from the word what God is doing in your heart. Not, I think Terry should do this, you know, not that kind of thing. So let's, uh, let's just commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. There's so much to unearth in it. And we recognize that we need to obey you. We want to obey you. And help us even now. May this be a special time to work in our heart and the body's heart here to know what it is that you might lead us towards. Amen.